Well, good morning. Hope you had a good time uh, uh, catching up and chatting with some folks. Um, if you uh, want a little more time doing that, the, uh, this will be announced later, so I don't know that I need to announce it, but uh, tomorrow there's going to be a senior lunch, senior and friends lunch, so you don't have to identify yourself as senior to join in. Um, should be a good, a good time. I'm glad that's starting back up. Uh, we have been in Ecclesiastes for the last couple of weeks. I don't think I have to tell you that. Uh, you, you might still be feeling a little on the depressed side after the last couple of, couple of weeks. Um, when I was planning the Ecclesiastes series, I, uh, I thought to myself, I don't think um, I can handle like three months straight of going through Ecclesiastes. Uh, because you guys get a dose of it for 45 minutes on Sunday morning, but I'm dealing with it all a week. And so I got to have a little bit of a break. I think we all probably need to have a little bit of a break um, from the meaninglessness of life on earth. Uh, and uh, so we're going to break up that series uh, with another series, uh, which I'm calling Outlining the Story. Um, my goal with this is to give a broad kind of brushstroke of, of the Old Testament, of, of what uh, God's working in the Old Testament, uh, humanity's response to God in the Old Testament. Um, it, it, it's, uh, I think of it a little bit like, okay, I don't have control again, Jan. I had it just a few seconds ago, but uh, there we go. I got control again. All right. Um, I think of it a little bit like this, like uh, you can make Tom the turkey here, right? Uh, all filled in, all colorful, uh, all beautiful, and it's nice. We like Tom the turkey, right? Um, uh, but I'm going to do a little bit more like this, right? You still get Tom the turkey, you still get the idea, the general sense of what uh, Tom is like, uh, but you're just not getting the full sense of what he's like. Make sense? That's what I'm going to try to do with the Old Testament, is just take some of the key things. Now, what will inevitably happen, as I'm sure at some point, someone's going to come up to me and say, hey, you missed this. And I'm going to say, yep, I did miss that. Uh, well, that's really important. And I'll say, yeah, it probably is really important. But uh, it, didn't it didn't fit into my idea of tracing the Old Testament. So some of probably your favorite stories and your favorite uh, uh, things that, that you would cover if you were teaching this series, I'll probably miss those things. I'm sorry in advance. Um, but I really want mostly to focus on the broader story of what the Old Testament is trying to communicate to us. And so today, uh, we're going to start at the beginning, which makes sense. Um, so let me pray for us and we'll, we'll get started. Lord, um, Again, we're just so thankful to be together this morning, I'm so thankful to be uh, in, in fellowship with one another, uh, what encouragement and uh, joy there is to, to be uh, together, regardless of what's going on uh, in our lives uh, during the rest of the week, uh, that we can uh, enjoy just being with your people. Um, I just pray this morning as we dive into your word that you would um, do your work, you would uh, allow your Holy Spirit to transform uh, our thinking, to challenge us on areas that uh, maybe we've, uh, uh, we need to be challenged on, and that we would walk away today different than how we came to your word. So I pray that, uh, and you're the only, only one that can do that, so I pray that uh, you'd do that with us this morning. Uh, help me to be very, very clear uh, about what 
you are trying to communicate here in Genesis 1. Pray this all in your name. Amen. So, of course, we got to start with the beginning, right? Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Probably read that a few times, right? Uh, Anytime I would uh, get on this kick of going, I'm going to read the whole Bible through in a year, uh, I would get through day one, and I would read, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and, um, and at least I got that read, right? By, you know, 30 days in, I was off the, the wagon and uh, not studying my Bible like I should uh, or like I wanted to, uh, but at least I got that read. Most people, when they pick up uh, the Bible, they don't just flip to anything. They flip right to the beginning, and they're like, okay, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we read that, and I think we've read it so much, that sometimes the weight of what Moses, who wrote this, is trying to communicate to us, I think we miss it, which is, or we can miss it. We have the possibility of missing it, which is that the very beginning of everything that we know, everything that we understand about this existence started when God created. He created the heavens and the earth. Now, we have to be clear here because uh, when, I don't know about you, but when I hear heaven, I think of the, the afterlife place. That's not what he's talking about here. Uh, heavens is everything up there and earth is everything down here. Uh, so we would call that the universe, right? That's what we call it now. They didn't call it that back then. Uh, but it's everything up there, which is all the stars and the, you know, nebulas and the, you know, void of space and everything that's, that's up there, the moon, the sun, all of that stuff and everything that's down here. God created everything, everything that we know, everything that we un- understand, all of existence exists because God created that. Psalm 102 says it this way, Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Isaiah 40 says it this way, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Can you just picture that? God, God pulling the curtain over, our, over us. Everything we see up here, he, he pulled the curtain over us. Spread it out like a tent. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth, leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and his strength, strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Do you hear the intentionality of all that? One by one by one by one by one. He put every single raging ball of fire into the universe. And he knows every single one by name. And he placed it exactly where he wanted it, how he wanted it, because of his might and his strength and his power. Now, I don't know about you, but I've wondered at times, 
and maybe it's because I'm strange. Why does Moses start here? I, you, you might, we might just assume, well, because it's the beginning, right? You got to start at the beginning if you're going to start with the beginning. Did he have to start with the beginning? I don't think he did. He could have started with something much later. Um, he could have started with something that maybe even the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, thought was more important. But he starts here. I think he starts here because we need to start here. This is the first principle, the first precept in everything we have in our written record of God's revelation. It's the foundation upon which everything else is built. And I believe it's the principle that if not properly understood, makes everything that comes after it problematic. We can easily misunderstand everything that comes after this if we don't understand that God created everything we know. God created this universe. Because think about it, where does God get the right to set standards in the garden? Right? Where does God have the right to enact consequences for violating his standards? Where, what right does he have to evaluate the worship of Cain and Abel? What right does he have to um, destroy most of life on the earth in a worldwide flood? Where does he get the gall to ask a father to take the life of his son? Where does he get the, the rights to elevate one people group over other people groups and give them a special place? Where does he get the right to allow a, 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 that people group to be enslaved? Where does he get the, the rights to uh, bring disaster after disaster after disaster on, um, on nations? Destroying their wealth and their health. Where does he get the right to do that to Egypt? And then eventually take one kid out of every household and take their life. Where does he get the right to do that? Where does he get the right to take a, a group of people to a mountain and set standards for them under the threat of consequences? Where does he get the right to, to demand worship happen in a very, very specific way for himself or even demand worship at all? Where does he get the right to ask uh, this group of people, this nation of people, to destroy and utterly wipe out another nation of people. Some of these are questions that are being asked in our society right now. And they're not actually usually asked. There's no question mark to it. He has no right to do that, is what they'll say. Well, you're right, you're right if he's not the creator. He has no right to do any of these things. But if he is the creator of all things, of everything that we know, then he actually has every right 
to do whatever he wants with his creation. Whatever he wants, any time he wants, at his choosing, whatever reason he wants to do, whatever he wants to do, even if we don't agree with the reason or even understand the reason, he has all of the rights, all of them. Because the only rights we have are rights that we derive from him. So to sit in judgment of this one who gave us even the ability to have judgment is pretty foolish. On your handout, if you want to fill it in, God is the creator of everything. So he has rights to everything in all creation. God is the creator of everything, so he has rights to everything in all creation. This is why Moses starts here, I believe. Because if we get this wrong, we're going to get most everything else wrong too. Then he breaks it down, gives us some detail. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Without God, the universe would have nothing and be nothing. There would be no light, only darkness. There would be no day, there would be no night. Verse 6, then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning a second day. Keep in mind, God called the expanse sky, basically. And there's evening and there's morning a second day. Without God, no big blue sky above us, no precipitation. Sometimes we'd probably like that. Then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the, and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding, yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning a third day. Without God, no land to live on. No ability to cultivate its resources, no seas to sail on, no ability to cultivate its resources, no plants, no trees, no fruit, no seeds. This is where, for me, it starts to get to a point where I go, I cannot imagine a world like that. Can you? Can you imagine a world with none of this? Then God said, 
Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for, for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern, govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning a fourth day. Without God, no sun, no moon, no stars would not exist. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves. And with the waters swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening, there was morning, a fifth day. Without God, there's no sea creatures. Without God, there's no birds. Without God, there's no ability to reproduce and create new sea creatures and new birds. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Without God, no land animals. Without God, nothing that creeps along the ground. I'm kind of okay with that. <laughs> Although I have a friend who's an entomologist, you know, a bug guy, and he's like, no, 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 you need those guys. Um, I'm just going to take his word for it. Understand what Moses is trying to do is not give us a, 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 an account of how these things all, um, like, like the material process of how they came into being. I know we like to draw that out of this passage, but I don't think at all that's what, what Moses is trying to do here. He's trying to think of every single possible thing that you could imagine, that they could imagine in their time, and go, hey, yeah, he, he created that too. And without that thing, you would, without God, you would not have that thing. Without God, we would have nothing that we see, nothing that we hear, nothing that we taste, nothing that we touch, nothing that we smell. We, we would have nothing that we know. We would have nothing that we cultivate, nothing that we produce, nothing that we construct, nothing that we, that we can study. I think we've, we've fooled ourselves in the technolo technological age that we live in that we think we could do this. We might be able to do this thing apart from God. Previous generations, it's very, very rare to even have the, the suggestion that a God or gods did not exist. Because, they, because it was so obvious and they were so convinced that, of course, we wouldn't have this stuff, right? But we've gotten to a place where we're like, maybe we can push God out. Maybe we can be independent enough. Maybe we've got enough technology to make this thing work. Well, where did all your technology come from? I mean, I'm a nerd, so I immediately think of the fact that most of our technology comes from these little microchips that we're in shortage of now. Why? Because we're in, we're in shortage of the materials to make them out of where? The earth, right? What is wrong with us to think 
that we could produce anything, could have anything, apart from the good gifts of a creator, choosing to grant us the things that we have. So when you look at a verse like this, when you look at Jesus saying this, saying, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. If this is just a request from a man, it's cruel, it's sadistic, it's a power play, it's cultish, right? These are what cult leaders require. Give me all your stuff. It's a demand from some sick, selfish place of trying to demonstrate loyalty. But if this is the Son of God, the Word that was with God and that was God, and that all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being, if this is true, then all He's asking for is His own stuff back. Right? It's His. It's not cruel or sadistic at all. It actually makes sense. He has creator's rights over everything that he's created. And we've got to come to the conclusion that there's nothing that, it, that we know that isn't created by the creator. Job was right about one very, very important thing. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He had it right. He knew what, the, what it meant that God was creator. I had nothing coming into this world. I deserve nothing. Every single thing you and I have, every single thing Job had was a gift from God, was a loan from God of his stuff, not our stuff. And that include his, included his wife and his kids and their spouses. Every single thing we have has been given to us. Your house is his house. Your car is his car. Your kids, they're his kids. They're not your kids. You've been entrusted with them. As much as you love those guys, as much as I love my kids, and I'm really sad that they're away right now at college. I'm excited for them, but it's hard. They're not mine. They never were. And I'm just dealing with, with this sense of loss because I have to give back what he gave me, right? Your spouse is his. Grace Community Fellowship, this place is his. It's not ours. He's entrusted it to us. He's given us responsibilities concerning it. This community we live in in Red Bluff is his. The United States is his. Russia, Ukraine, they're his. We have to start here or we'll miss it. Point on your hand out if you want to fill it in. Is without God, there would be nothing. So everything that is, something is his. Without God, there would be nothing. So that everything that is something is his. 
I think this is why Moses starts here, because if we get this wrong, we're going to get everything else wrong. Chapter 1 finishes here. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, humans in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God makes humans, again, creator, right? Which means not only is everything in your life his, you are also his. But he makes this creation something different than anything he made in all of creation. Nothing else in creation is made in his image and in his likeness. Nothing else in all creation is capable of imaging God, of reflecting who God is. And nothing else has the responsibility to reflect who God is. It's our job to be the image, to be the reflection. Image and likeness is, um, are both words that, that mean like an, artist, an artist's rendering. Um, I think the best way to think about this is, is like a, um, a portrait, a, a painting, right, of, of a, a, a portrait painting or a sculpt, sculpture that's representing a person or a photograph, although they didn't have photographs in this time. None of those things um, are the thing that they represent, but they represent that thing. Right? I'll give you a little example here. Who's that? That's not Ellie. That's a representation of Ellie, right? I was, I was setting you up. Um, that's a representation of Ellie, right? Oh, she's so pretty. Um, uh, so what if I do this? <laughs> Is that a problem? I showed that to Melissa. She's like, oh, why'd you do that, right? How could you do that? Well, why, why are we disappointed that I did this? It's not because it's Ellie, but it represents her, right? And so when I do things like that to her, it's, it's, it, 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 it's like I'm hurting her, right? Doing something, I'm, I'm making fun of her, even though it's not her, This is a uh, portrait painting of someone. Anybody know who this is a portrait painting of? George Washington, right? Um, now, the thing about portrait paintings is that you've got an artist, and sometimes those artists are good, and sometimes those artists are not so great. And so what you'll end up with is maybe something that, you know, looks like the original, but you're not sure. Like, I don't know. Is, is this what George Washington looked like? We don't know. We hope so. We think so. Maybe when you compare multiple uh, portrait paintings, you go, okay, there's some similarities there. So that's probably similar to what he looked like, right? Um, but you can get some bad ones. Anybody have a guess as to who that is? Yeah, it's Reagan. Uh, does that look like the original? Not very good. Not very close, right? Um, 
So a, a, a painting, a portrait painting, can either represent well, like a good portrait painting actually does represent well the original. And that's its intention, right? It's to, to the best of the artist's ability for it to represent that original thing. And sometimes they do a good job and sometimes they do a job like that, right? We have the same opportunity, right? To either image God well, be a good portrait of God, reflection of who God is. Let's be very, very clear. We're not God, just like that picture of Ellie was not Ellie, right? But we represent God. We reflect God. And we can either do that very, very well, or we can do that very, very poorly. And generally, history has shown that humans have done this very, very poorly. But God gives us, um, right away, gives humanity this ability to rule, to rule over this creation. Now, I think because we get this ruler status, this really sub-ruler status, right? Because he's the one who gave us the ability to rule. He's the ultimate ruler, right? So he gave us this ability to rule. So he gives us this, and generally how it works out today is, is we take this this ruler category, and we go, okay, now I can be independent. Now, now I can be in charge of myself, and I can be in charge of my world. I don't need the creator. I don't need the ultimate ruler. But again, Moses is trying to tell us, hey, look, our ability to rule, our ability to reason and think, our ability to, to do some things like God does was not given to us for our own purposes. It was not given to us so that we could take control of our lives. It was given to us so we could rule under the ruler, the big R ruler. Verse 28, he says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth right? More specifically, actually telling them, like God's having a discussion in himself, now he's telling them, this is what you're going to do. Be fruitful, multiply, and rule. So God's now giving us the ability, ability to reproduce, to really be sub-creators, right? Um, Ellie and Clark, uh, Melissa and I did that, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, really, Melissa did most of the work, right? But, uh, but we get to do this, right? But we've got to recognize that where did we get the ability to subcreate? From the Creator. This is why Moses starts here. Because if we get these things wrong, and we believe that our ability to rule and reign means that our ability to have control over our own life and control over our own sphere, we're going to get that really, really wrong. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God actually takes this creation that he has just created, and he hands it to us and says, I'm entrusting you with this thing. 
so that you can image me, so that you can mimic me, you can imitate my rule and reign over creation, to put on display his works, to put on display who he is, to put on display how he reigns. And he looks at the whole thing and he says, God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. He steps back and he says, you know what? This is really, really good. This is exactly how I want this. It's exactly how I intended everything to be. Everything is put in its proper place. All ruling structures are, 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 and, and caring structures and creation structures are all created and ready to go. This is exactly what I wanted. All the animals in their proper place, all the land and the sea in their proper place, and humans in their proper place within creation. Fulfilling the purpose for which I have created them. Point it on your handout if you want to fill it in is every person was created to be a reflection of what God is like. So this is your primary reason to exist too. Every person was created to be a reflection of what God is like. So this is your primary reason to exist too. This is why Moses starts here, because if we get this wrong, and we get this wrong a lot, when we get this wrong, we really get so many other things really, really wrong. We've got to start here. We've got to be, this has got to be the first principle. God in his proper place, us in our proper place in relation to him, has to start there. I put just a little quote at the bottom of your handout from George MacDonald, um, who was a theologian and a, and a pastor. He said, I would rather be what God chose to make me than the most glorious creature that I could think of. For to have been thought about, born in God's thought, and then made by God is the dearest, grandest, and most precious thing in all thinking. I agree. Lord, we want to think rightly about ourselves. We want to be those who take the corrective here, because this is not where we would start in our minds. We've somehow fooled ourselves into believing things that are not true about us. So you immediately, right away, try to correct our thinking on this. Lord, help our thinking be corrected. May we just recognize that that we are, we have a proper place, and that place is a special place in this creation. But it does not put us in your place, place we try to take a lot of times. It doesn't give us the right to rule apart from you, to live our lives apart from you. You created us to be a reflection of you. And we want to do that. We want to do that well. We want to be a, 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 a image bearer of you and reflect you extremely well.
so that others would see our lives and they would glorify you, not us. They glorify you because we're such a great reflection of who you are. Lord, show us how to do that. Show us how to be that. Conform us into that. And help us to understand our responsibility to that. Pray this all in your name.